But before that, I want to uh, get into the teaching for this morning. And uh, we're going to start a new series. And the series is called, Who is This Man? Who is This Man? I don't have any slides to show you today, but I do have three videos. The first one of which is coming up in a minute. Um, This series, over the next three weeks, is all about exploring the person and the life and the teaching of Jesus. How can you do that in three weeks, I hear you say? Um, It's a good question. Let me ask you this question. If you had 30 seconds, just 30 seconds, and without any preparation time, to explain to somebody who Jesus was, what would you say? If somebody said, so who's this Jesus? Turn to the person next to you and just tell them just some of the key words or key phrases that would pop out if you just literally had 30 seconds off the bat just to explain who, who Jesus was. If somebody who perhaps didn't know anything about him, what would you say? Just turn to the person next to you and just tell them what you would say. Just share that for, for half a minute or so. Okay, you've had your 30 seconds. Come on, let's have a little... Let's hear what, let's just shout out some of the words that you might use. 30 seconds, what, would you, what words would you use to describe Jesus? Come on, let's hear it. Saviour, Son of God, Self, oh, that's good. they're all beginning with S, this is really good. Saviour, Son of God, Selfless, what else? Saturday, they don't all have to begin with S. This isn't a competition. Yes, thank you, sacrifice. Love. Interesting, that's very interesting. You see, you may think that you know who Jesus is, and you may think that there are people around us, the people in the world know who Jesus is, but if you, as you'll see from this next video, there are plenty, plenty, plenty of people in our culture and our country who aren't very sure who Jesus was, or even if he existed at all. Just have a look at this uh, little Vox Pops video. If you can share the first one for me, guys. Um. Um. Uh. Um. He was born on Christmas Day. Yeah. He was probably a guy who was quite groovy like Gandhi many, many years ago and did some carpentry and was probably quite a nice bloke. Did you sound up like this film? I think that uh, he's a man with uh, long hair and, uh, and uh, he's God's son. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. I don't know. I, I've never like seen him or anything like this and I don't really believe in him. I think... Jesus is fictionary. I think Jesus is probably a guy that's made up to try and keep people in line. To be honest, he's part of the biggest con ever to be associated with mankind. I think that Jesus is like something that people have in their imagination and that they use to kind of comfort themselves in sort of difficult situations, maybe. I think a person called Jesus existed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he's a little bit crazy. He's important. Yeah. But for young people like us, uh, I don't know. No. Like my best friend, for her, like, Jesus is a big factor in her life and, like, her making decisions. There's, like, so many different religions, you don't really know what to believe, and nothing's wrong, but it's like, is Jesus real? Because there's so many different things you can believe in. Who is Jesus? Uh... There's some interesting ideas in there, isn't there? About who Jesus is. I, love, I don't know if you caught it, but just quite early on, the lady with the sort of security jacket on, she says, God, what a question. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. Um, even for those who do recognise Jesus' existence on the earth, 
it seems that there are plenty of people who aren't really sure why or who he was or what he stood for. And the aim of this series is to try and get a handle on who Jesus said he was, who he thought he was, and what that might mean for us. To cut through perhaps some of the many ideas that are floating around and get to the, to the bottom of it. If you weren't raised in a Christian context, if you weren't raised in a church, this should give you a specific and clear way of seeing who Jesus is, what is the life that he offers, and how he draws us into the, a story that's bigger than our own. And if you were raised in church, then this is a clear and simple way to cut through all of that information that's flying around. All those ideas that try and describe Jesus. All those things that people down the centuries have tried to say that he is. And come back to, in simple terms, who he is and what he's all about. Now I do have to say at this point that um, I'm borrowing heavily on this material from a pastor called Jay Pathak. And he, in turn, is borrowing heavily from a guy called Tom Wright, or N.T. Wright, the theologian. I'm going to show you a little bit of Tom Wright in a minute. So much of this material isn't my own, but I thought it was really worth us exploring this. So if someone did come up to you in the street, and, they, and you got there, or just you were chatting at a party, or you're, you're, you get talking to somebody, and they give you 30 seconds, or maybe, maybe we'll allow you three minutes, to say, so who is this Jesus? What would you say? What would you say if you had three minutes to speak about the single most interesting and historically significant man in the world? Who he is, what he's done, the life he offers, and what it is that he's done that impacts and affects you so much. And I presume that what you do there and what you want to do is attach some kind of cell to that, some kind of challenge, you know, and this is why you should give your life to him. And this is why he means such a lot to me. And this is why he's worth considering. How could we do that in three minutes? I would suggest that for many of us, either we don't know how to do that, because we don't know what the answer is, or we have too much information and not a lot of clarity. And this series will show how Jesus fits into first century Palestine, the Jesus that we read in the Bible, what he was doing, what he did, what he continues to do. And how that just pulls us into a different kind of life. Jesus pulls us into a different kind of life if we have ears to hear and eyes to see what he's doing and if we respond to that. So, um, as I said, I'm going to borrow from Tom Wright, who is a scholar and an academic. He used to be the Bishop of Durham until he retired three or four years ago. He's a British guy. He's a very, very clever and brainy guy. Sometimes he writes under the name Tom Wright, and sometimes he writes under the name N.T. Wright. There's a clue there, because when he's writing under N.T. Wright, you know it's going to be complicated. That's the, that's the sort of scholarly side of him. And when he writes under the name Tom Wright, you know that it's aimed for just people like you and me. <laughs> and uh, there's a book that he's written called Simply Jesus. And if you wanted to sort of have something that, that you could read in the background, it's not very long, it's a couple of hundred pages, very easy to read. I'd wave it at you, but I don't have it. I've only got it on my Kindle. So, um, but that's a great book. So if you wanted to follow this up, you should go to Amazon later and just get hold of Simply Jesus. Um, and that kind of places, historically and theologically, places Jesus into first century Palestine and demonstrates what he said he was, who he said he was, what his story was. Now, 
I'm going to show you a clip, and in this clip, Tom Wright is given three minutes to explain who it is that Jesus thought he was, what he thought he was up to. Now, don't be intimidated by this, because Tom's a pretty clever guy. And he goes fairly quickly, and he, he hits into some pretty deep stuff fairly quickly. Don't be put off by that. Just listen carefully, and uh, we'll unpack it afterwards. But here's Tom Wright on who, who or what Jesus did. When, as an ancient historian, I look at the evidence about Jesus and say, what did he think he was doing? I am putting him alongside other figures in the world of first century Judaism who we have some evidence for. And the first thing that I say quite clearly is that Jesus thought he was a prophet. He spoke of himself as a prophet. When other people referred to him as a prophet, he didn't say, no, no, you're wrong. So that's the, 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 the historical starting point. Uh, the second thing is, what sort of a prophetic movement was this? What did he think he was doing as a prophet? And the answer is quite clear again. He thought he was a prophet announcing the kingdom of God. Not just announcing it in the sense that it might happen in a day or a week or a year, but saying, it's happening now under your noses. This was his prophetic message, and he not only said it, he did it with the symbolic actions of healing and feasting and so on. And that's why he got into trouble, because people didn't like it. Now, the next thing in line from there is that not only was he announcing the kingdom of God, uh, by bringing it himself, he seems to think he was not just a prophet announcing it, he was actually the Messiah. That is to say, not he was the divine incarnate one, we'll get to that, that's the fifth stage, but that he was the one who was Israel's anointed, was the Lord's anointed, he was the king. And messiahs, there were always two things that messiahs had to do. Messiahs had to defeat the pagans and build or cleanse the temple. And Jesus was going to fight a different sort of battle. He talks about having battles with the enemy, but it isn't Rome he has in mind. It's the darker force of evil that he called the Satan or the accuser. The, the, the ultimate source of evil, and he wasn't going to build a new temple. He was going to do and be things which would, as it were, replace the temple. We'll get to that in a moment. So he's a prophet, he's announcing the kingdom, he believes he is the Messiah. But then fourthly, Jesus believed that his messianic movement was not about blitzing the enemy in submission in a political sense, but by actually taking the full force of evil onto himself and dying under the weight of that evil in fulfillment of the scriptures, the long story of Israel's tortured career was going to come to its climax in his own death at the hands of the pagans. And then, fifthly and finally, and this is the really scary thing when we think about it historically, Jesus as a historical individual believing this, he believed that this entire vocation was appropriate for him because he was actually the personal embodiment of Israel's God. He told stories about Israel's God coming back to Zion in order to explain what he was doing in his own last journey to Jerusalem. And that's the way that I come round to saying that Jesus actually, you see, if you say, did Jesus believe he was God? Uh, people in our culture have this idea of God as a rather distant dictator or whatever. And if you say Jesus believed he was that sort of figure, you have this idea of a rather lofty, detached Jesus, like the Jesus of some of the movies from the 50s and so on, with a faraway look in his eye and being very sort of, um, I don't know, heady. Um, Jesus has his feet on the ground of first century Palestine. 
And as a human being with this vocation, he believed he was embodying the personal presence of Israel's God. And then you get a very different picture of God. You get a God who doesn't stay detached from the process. You get a God who comes and gets his feet dirty and gets his hands nailed to a cross in order to rescue his I think I'll just leave now. Don't you think? I warned you. It's amazing, huh? He's a clever man. And this is from sort of years and years and years of studying the Bible. And he boils it down to this. This is what Jesus said he was. And what I love about his overall argument is that actually we don't get to decide who God is. It's not up to us. We don't get to simply create an image of who or what we would like Jesus to be. Tom and the Bible's argument is very clear that if there is a God, then he is the one. He is who he is. And it's up to us to seek him and to find him. And if Jesus says, is who he says he is, and did what he said he would do, then it's us that have to conform our understanding of God to match who he says he is. You know, the Bible says that God made us in his image. And we might add, sometimes we return the favour. As in, we make him in ours. There's a kid's song I used to know called, Have We Made Our God Too Small? Of course, we don't make God, but in our minds, sometimes we make up our own image of what Jesus is and what God is, and that just doesn't work. It's up to us to change our minds and to conform our lives to match up with the life of Jesus. And so there are two key points from what Tom said that I want to reflect on today. I want us to look at Jesus as a prophet and Jesus as a Messiah or King. And Tom's first key point is that Jesus announces himself as a prophet, that he teaches with the authority of God. There are many people in culture around us who say, oh, yeah, Jesus, yeah, he's a good teacher. Do you, do you know anybody like that? Jesus, he's a good teacher. He taught some good stuff. Maybe that's the response you get when you say that you follow Jesus or you love Jesus or you worship Jesus. Oh, yeah, Jesus, mm, yeah. He had some good points. He, he was a good teacher. Maybe it's a distancing technique. Maybe it feels condescending. I don't, I don't know how you would respond to that. So you're chatting away to somebody. Jesus, yeah, yeah, he's a good teacher. And the classic Christian response might be, no, 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 Jesus is so much more than just a good teacher. Here's some Jay Pathak's suggestion. How about if, instead of responding like that, we responded like this. You say Jesus is a good teacher. That's wonderful. Which part of his teaching do you like the most? And how is it changing your life? If you think he's a good teacher, then it's worth reading his teaching and applying it, isn't it? Whether you believe or not. And the truth is, Jesus was a good teacher. He was a fantastic teacher, an amazing communicator, an inspiring leader. But he was so much more than that. As Tom said, Jesus was a prophet who spoke with the authority of God, the voice of God. And most people, whether or not they are following him, probably haven't taken Jesus really seriously as a prophet. See, even those who know God or claim to have known God and claim to have a relationship with him, sometimes don't take his, his, his teachings seriously. 
So I was just looking online, and you know, back in 2011, there was a census of the UK. And uh, in the census that happened in 2011, 54% of the public in this country said that they thought of themselves as Christian. 54%. By the way, that's compared with 72% from the previous census 10 years beforehand in 2001. So in 10 years, according to the census, the number of people or the percentage of people who say they're Christians has significantly dropped. And there was a poll that was carried out just in the week after the 2011 census. And the poll was focusing on beliefs and attitudes and the practices of UK adults who say that they were recorded as Christians in the census. Or who would have recorded themselves. So, so these are people who call themselves Christians, what they actually believe and what they actually do about that. And it said that a third of people, 32%, would say that they believed that Jesus was physically resurrected. It said that one in five, 18%, actually don't believe in the resurrection at all, even in any spiritual sense. It said that half, 49%, don't think of Jesus as the Son of God. And one in 25, 4%, doubt that he even existed at all. It's odd, isn't it? So they're calling themselves Christian. But they doubt they even existed. Anyway, this is the most interesting part. When asked to select which one statement best describes what being a Christian meant to them personally, these are the statements that came out with. 40% said, I try to be a good person. About 26%, a quarter said, well, it's how I was brought up. About 16%, one in six selected the statement, I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. And one in ten, less than one in ten, seven percent said, I believe in the teachings of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? So there are many people who are happy enough to accept that Jesus lived and died for them, and then it stops there. That's enough. And they don't feel the need to pay any attention to his teaching. Now, I don't know about your story. I grew up in church. All my life. Um, when I got to the age of 21, I kind of got to the end of my university time and I find myself asking questions about my faith. Is this real? Basically, I never really doubted it was real. My real question was, what am I going to do about it? It's, I, I realized that it was kind of have to be all or nothing. I couldn't just kind of go on pretending to be a Christian or kind of being a Christian when it suited me. So I kind of was asking myself this quite big question, you know, is this real? And if so, what am I going to do about it? It has to be all or nothing. And I knew too much for it to be nothing. So it had to be all. And that was the point at which I really started to grow in my faith. As an adult, to start taking the teachings of Jesus seriously and reorganizing my life to adhere to them. And actually, I was pretty shocked when I realized that not everyone thought like this. <sighs> that not everyone who's brought up with this faith thought that it was important to look at the teaching of Jesus and try and apply them to our lives. People who professed to be Christians, but for whatever reason, didn't actually take the teaching seriously. Now, around that time, I was also quite heavily impacted by the lyrics of a song by the seminal 90s hip-hop band Arrested Development. I don't know if you remember them. I don't really have time to play you more clips, but you can find them on YouTube. You might remember their song Mr. Wendell or Everyday People. They were hits in the 90s. Um, they described themselves as a positive, 
Afrocentric alternative to the gangster rap that was very popular in the early 90s. Do you know what I'm talking about? No? Okay. Never mind. It doesn't matter. I'll plow on. Um, I, I don't have time to, to um, play them to you now. But this song had quite an impact on me as a young guy just thinking about all these questions. And this is a song called Fishing for Religion. Now this band basically sang about homelessness and dignity. They sang about the environment and poverty and justice. All the things that I think probably Jesus would be talking about. But this song sort of attracted my attention because it was a bit different. Because it's actually a song about looking for a new religion. And it uses a fishing metaphor. He's basically saying, I'm, putting my line, I'm not putting my line in that water because it's not working for me. And I think this guy must have grown up in church. It's clearly by, written by somebody who grows up in church. And it tells the story of the kind of spirituality that he was observing in the church that he was growing up. I'm not judging them. I'm just telling you the lyrics. I'm not going to rap it. But it is in... No, I'm not. But go and find out on YouTube and you'll see someone rapping it much better than me. But I do have the lyrics here. And, and they really impacted me. And I'll, I'll read them to you, some of them. It says, the reason I'm fishing for a new religion is my church makes me go to sleep. They're praising a God that watches you weep and doesn't want you to do a damn thing about it. When they say change, the preacher says shout it. Does shouting bring about change? I doubt it. All shouting does is make you lose your voice. Love that. And then just come further on. He says, so naively, I give it another go. I'm sitting in the church, hearing legitimate woes. Pastor tells the lady... It'll be all right. Just pray so you can see the pearly gates so white. The lady prays and prays and prays and prays and prays and prays. It's everlasting. There's nothing wrong with praying. It's what she's asking. She's asking the Lord to let her cope so one day she can see the golden rope. And what you pray for, God will give to be able to cope in this world we live. But the word cope and the word change are directly opposite, not the same. She should have been praying to change her woes, but the pastor said pray to cope with those. And here's the killer paragraph. The government's happy with this, a bit full on. The government's happy with most Baptist churches. He's talking, that's the context he's talking in. The government's happy with most of these churches because they don't do a damn thing to try and nurture. Brothers and sisters on a revolution, this teaching dying is the only solution. Passivism, passiveness, causes others to pass us by. I throw my line till I've made my decision and until then I'm still fishing for religion. What a great song. I mean, brilliantly put together words. But the story that he's telling really impacted me as a young guy because I recognised that actually in church there are hundreds of people who are just not doing anything about their faith. They're just sitting there going, oh, okay, just, 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 just pray to keep going and imagine yourself in heaven and you'll be okay. And that isn't taking the teachings of Jesus seriously, is it? Anyway, that's my wrapping over for the morning. Um, I realised that the guy who wrote these words had clearly grown up in church, but what he had seen had really caused him to question his faith. And that as he described it, people are encouraged to cope rather than to change. By the way, I was reading up on him this morning. It turns out he did actually become a Christian four years later. I only found that out this morning as I was checking this out again and reading a bit of, reading around. But that, because that was written in, back in 92, 91, 92. I think it's important that we take Jesus seriously, not just as a nice guy, not even as someone who died for us, just, but as a moral teacher, because he teaches us how to live well. Some of us feel like we're just about existing, never mind living well. And many people who claim the name of Jesus don't actually try on his teaching. They don't try to live as he says we should. They don't do the things he says we should do. And they don't experience the kind of things he says we will.
So Jesus is not just an equation to believe, but a whole way of life that is within the kingdom of God and which demonstrates the presence of power of heaven. It's coming to bear on earth. And you discover this if you treat him as a prophet, as one who speaks with the authority of the living God. So here's a challenge. If you're exploring your faith, maybe you want to throw this out to one of your friends at work or wherever. Consider reading the teachings of Jesus and just find something, just one thing that you can agree with. You might not agree with all of it, but find one thing that you can agree with. And try it for a week and see what happens. It's a good challenge. Actually, whether you're exploring your faith or not, it's a good challenge for everyone. Take this seriously. You see in John chapter 17 and verse 16, it says this, Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. See that again? Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether the things that I teach come from God or whether they're just from me. And he's talking to the religious teachers here. And he's basically saying to them, when you teach, it's just a kind of echo. When I teach, this is the word of God. This is from the authority. It's direct. And so anybody who chooses an aspect of Jesus' teaching and tries it for a week. I mean, let's take an example. Let's take do unto others as you would have done to you. Okay, who's up for that? Yeah, who's up for, who's up for giving it a go? So, you know, being kind, being thoughtful, selfless, treating others how you'd like to be treated. Try it for a week. There's a Swedish theologian called Oglesby who um, said, if you try this, there are four things that you'll learn, you'll learn about yourself first. I don't have time to wait till next week, so I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. <laughs> Number one, you don't actually do it, even though you try. Oh, do you know, I could, I could have been kinder. I could have been more gracious. If I was that person, I'd have wanted me to have been nicer to them. Do you ever have that? I mean, I have that in my family all the time. So number one, you, you don't do it. Number two, you can't do it. Even when we redouble our efforts, our willpower is not strong enough. We don't have the strength to enact the, the teachings of Jesus. Three, worse, we don't want to do it. Even if we manage through gritted teeth and a bitter heart, there's something inside that will show us that actually our fundamental desires aren't aligned. And the problem is not with just our will, but actually what we want to do. And the fourth thing, here's the worst thing, we actually want others to think we are doing it. So we lie. And we make other people think that we're doing it. Can I be candid with you just for a minute? You see, the truth is, if you get pushed right down to the bottom, I try, no matter how much I try to be a good person, in reality, I am dark-hearted and selfish at my core. In my bones. And left to my own devices, I will think of myself first every time. Selfish by orientation. Unless I have the life of God in me and him shaping me from the inside out, I have very little confidence that I'm becoming the kind of person that I wish I could be. So I challenge you and myself to try this for a week. And I know that what would happen if it was simply down to me, 
I would realize pretty quickly what I kind of alluded to last week, that I'm in need and in desperate need of God and in desperate need of Jesus and his life in me. And when I encountered Jesus' prophetic teaching and his moral wisdom, I realized that the stuff he was saying, it's true. It's how it's meant to be. God's heart is for me not just to simply follow his laws, but he actually wants me to change. He actually wants me to become a different kind of person, not just to obey, but to actually want to obey. His heart for me is to do that, not just for my sake, though that would make a huge difference, but for the sake of others around me, for the sake of the world that I live in that is in such desperate need. That's what it means to live life for the kingdom of God. So, for example, when Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. Your father in heaven, he loves you. He takes care of you like the birds of the air. Look at all those people running around stressed. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5. Running around stressed. But don't you? The pagans, they'll run around headlessly worrying. But your father takes care of you. You don't need to worry about that. What's our response to that? Does that sound good? Sounds right to me. It feels right. It's a relief. It's some comfort. Yeah, that's how it's meant to be. And everything within me says yes. And yet still, for some reason, I find I want to stay in my stressy place. Does that ever happen to you? Jesus says it's not enough just not to murder. But anger is actually like murder in the heart. He says it's not enough just to not commit adultery he actually wants to rid me of lust that's challenging does anyone alive want more lust and more lying and more anger in their life i don't think so let's take lying jesus says lying is a problem of the heart he says basically you don't believe the world is safe and that god will take care of you so you pretend to be someone else and make your way in the world And yet Jesus says that's not true. If you come into the kingdom, you can trust God with your life and he'll shape you. You will become a different kind of person and you won't need to pretend anymore. What an awesome thing. And that's the prophetic wisdom of Jesus, which stands over every other kind of moral teaching and demonstrates that he is exactly who he says he is. But as we heard Tom say, he's not just a prophet. He also claims to be a Messiah, a conquering king. He's not the king that they were expecting. And his kingdom is demonstrated through the power of his presence. He's not fighting Rome as his followers would want him to. But actually, he's got a bigger battle than that. He's taking on the dark forces of the world and the demonic demonic powers. And the thing about the Jesus that we read about in the Bible is that he is so powerful and he exudes so much authority That all he has to do is stand in a room and demons will scream because they can't stand to be in his presence. Have you ever been around people of authority? Have you ever been around famous people? People like Kylie Minogue or Justin Bieber? No, I don't think you have. I haven't either. But if they were here, I don't think that we'd act normal. I think we'd go... People act weird around people who have influence. We don't know how to handle that. And Jesus, yeah, Jesus was so much more than that. Not that he was famous, but that he emanated, exuded 
this power and authority. So much power, he could speak to people's bodies and they were made well. So much power that he could cast out demons and raise the dead. And yet with all that power, he was entirely gracious and entirely kind. His was not a political fight, but a spiritual one. His intention was to rescue all of humanity. His humility was so clearly demonstrated, as Tom Wright said, that he was willing to take evil right into his body. Nails in his hands and feet, a spear in his side, and bled out and died. And he did it on purpose as a way of saying, I will do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. I will take the punishment and the sin that you deserve right into myself, right into my body. And to prove that this wasn't just any other death, he also rose from the dead. And in this, he shows what God is like and demonstrates that he is not just a good guy, not just a great teacher, not some weird hippie philosopher, but the living God. Most people's view of God is that he's some crazy old guy in the sky with a beard and lightning bolt. That's Zeus, by the way, not God. Um, At the very least, they conclude that he must be some distant, uncaring, moral dictator or some sort of strict rule enforcer, like like some demon head teacher or something. Jesus says, no, 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 no. When you see me, you see the Father. When you see what I'm like, that's who God is. The father is like a man staring into the distance, waiting for his son to come home. The father is like a master rewarding his servant for faithfulness. He welcomes the broken. He stands on behalf of the poor and fights against injustice. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to question them. What is God like? I don't know. What's he like? We don't have to do that. Jesus says, I'm showing it to you now. I'm showing him to you now. This is what he's like. You can find life in God through me. That's a really big claim, isn't it? I mean, that's huge. And it stands above any other religious teaching, any other kind of prophet. Jesus says, in me, you can find life and relationship with the living God. In me, you can find life and relationship with the living God. If you have three minutes to describe what it's like to have the life of Jesus in you, what would you say? It's a really good exercise. Let's have a go this week. Test yourself. Just put the timer on. Talk. Try it on the cat or something if you've got one. There was a pastor called Dr. Lockridge, Dr. S.M. Lockridge. You might have heard this before. He worked with Martin Luther King Jr. and in the freedom movement in the south of the USA in the 60s and 70s. And one night there was a meeting that he was called upon just to sort of give an opening address to, just an opening remark. Just, just come and pray for us, pastor, at the start of this meeting. Just give us a blessing, an encouragement. He had about three minutes to speak about Jesus. And what he said, what he came out with, just blew everybody away. You might have heard this before, but 
As we come to communion this morning, this is a really good way to finish my talk. It's worth hearing again. This is what he said. Have a listen. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduring strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him, for yet he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You see, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him. But they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. And uh, on today, on the website, we'll put the links to all those videos if you want to check them out yourself. He is all of this and so much more, isn't he? And what a perfect time to come and just celebrate communion together. I just want to pray that God would give us the grace to see who Jesus really is. Why don't we stand together for a minute? Brian, why don't you come up as well?
I pray that God would give us the grace. Father, would you show us, allow us to see who Jesus really is and to live in that reality and to articulate that within our own lives and to others. It's okay, I'll hold on. on. In our own lives and with others. Father, would you just enable us to live in that reality, we pray. Spirit, lead us, guide us, and just bring home to us this wonderful truth. And Jesus, we we love you. We submit to you once again. And as we come to communion, just to celebrate your death and your resurrection. Yeah, as we reflect on all of this, just soak the truth deep into our hearts, we pray today. And Lord, where we need to make a response, show us how to do that too. Lead us, Spirit, we pray. Amen.